SF Squeecast, in which a group of science fiction and fantasy professionals squee about things sf in a never-ending panel discussion of vague positivity. I'm your moderator, Lynn Thomas. I'm joined today by Squeecast regulars Elizabeth Baer. Hello. Paul Cornell. Good evening. Catherine Valenti. Hi. And our very special guest, Amal El-Motar, poet, editor, and Nebula-nominated fiction writer. Hello. Amal, welcome to the, to po- to the podcast. We're thrilled to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay! Yay! So, uh, for our listeners who are dipping in and out, uh, we want you to be once more aware that our format has changed slightly. We are not doing show and tell anymore. Uh, Instead, we are doing uh, panel-type discussions, but we are going to open with a teensy bit of show and tell, which is we're going to talk about a thing that is making us happy in the land of science fiction and fantasy today, uh, so that we can still keep some of that vague positivity before we start, you know, rebuilding the world. And I'm taking a sip of tea because, uh, intrepid listeners, I'm just getting over a cold, so we're hoping that my voice will actually hold out for the length of the podcast. This ought to be fun. Okay, so, um, what is making us happy in SFF today? Amal, would you like to go first? I would love to go first. Um, I suppose I could talk in a sort of general way about how much I'm really, really loving all sorts of short fiction right now, and... I don't know if you've heard, but there's this really cool magazine that's starting up called Uncanny that I'm like super excited about. But actually, in in um, more minute, concrete things, I read this super amazing book that has just delighted me so completely because it was a, the kind of book that sort of just you don't know what to expect from and keeps you on your toes and sort of dances in and out of narrative expectation in fantastic ways. Um, and it's called Heap House by Edward Carey. And it's just brilliant. It's just completely fantastically brilliant. And it made me so happy. And I was delighted to get to review it recently. Um, and and I just cannot stop squeeing about how wonderful it was. But be warned, it is the first book of a trilogy which I did not know going in. Uh, and which caused me some distress as I came to the end of the book expecting a really satisfying conclusion, which it totally looked like it was going to give me. And then it just just did not. It, did, it said, nope, nope, you're the first book of a trilogy. There is so much more to come. So... But it was amazing. So Heap House by Edward Carey has made me super happy. Excellent. Thank you, Amal. Would you do me a favor and send me a link uh, to the book so that I can put it on our show notes? Absolutely. Thank you. That'll go up on the website. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, the next picture I see on my screen is Cat. So I'm going to ask you, Cat, what you have in SFF that is making you happy today. So I just finished reading uh, Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, uh, mm-hmm. which I... I you know, I, I it, it, started, it came out all the same all this year. Uh, the first two books came out in February and March, I think, and then the last one came out in September. Uh, so I'm not in, I'm not too late uh, coming to the series, and I was really uh, just absolutely enthralled by it. I chewed through it in about 24 hours. Uh, didn't sleep much, and it just it's it's such an interesting evolution for uh, Vandermeer as an author because he's taken all of the sort of weirdness and funky, gross fungus and like sopping wet SF life that he always writes about and boiled it down to a much more commercial narrative uh, and and sort of accessible narrative than some of his other books when the end result is kind of like if Michael Crichton really cared about things being beautiful and uh, character development and uh, the numinous and I just Hmm. I I was really uh, blown away by it and I mean, it, I, I, may, I maybe have a few issues with the end, but is there an end in the world I don't have a few issues with? Not really, <laughs> uh, including my own. So, uh, but it, it, was, it was great to, it only really happens once or twice a year that I just fall into a hole of reading through uh, a series as quickly as I possibly can because I want to know what happens next. And it was, it was a great treat to, to have that experience again. And I, I really liked it a lot. Excellent. Can I... Can I just say that it's really good that you didn't actually get any sleep while you were reading those books because those books yeah, will mess up your dreams. They're they will do... scary. Um, <laughs> and there's one candidate for our title for this episode. And I, I, I live in New England on an island. It's not an unfungusy place. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's Another title. Place yep. That is 100% free of dark, infinite holes or... Uh, centuries old ruins either so uh, yeah it, it it definitely kind of got under my skin so to speak uh but when does vandermeer not get under your skin hmm. excellent thank you so much cat mm-hmm. bear 
Um, well, this is actually pursuant to the to the larger topic of this episode, uh, re, uh, uh, the, the, the panel discussion, because this morning when I was supposed to be writing before the Squeecast, what happened was I fell down a hole in Giganotosaurus and <laughs> um, spent my entire morning reading a, a – I guess it must be a, a long novelette or a short novella by Zen Cho called The House of Ants. Uh, um, which is this wonderful, mad little story about a uh, the, the the domestic lives of a family of Malaysian vampires, um, <laughs> and it's 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 very homey and and domestic drama, and um, it, except it's a whole bunch of it, it's a. Uh, Great grandmother and and her children and 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 grandchildren and great grandchildren, all women who are happen to be vampires, um, and they gossip and deep fry human entrails. <laughs> as one does, and, uh, and as as one does, and drama ensues. Um, it's it's addictive. Uh, she has a, a fantastic writing style. It's it's a very plain spoken writing style, but it's also very evocative. Um, she's not she's not going for the the big pyrotechnic uh, kind of uh, um, uh, unabashed style monkey writing, but there's so much like really vivid physical detail that that it's very real and I, I love her protagonist and I love just the the it's you know it it, it it felt like those holiday dinners when the entire family is together being passive aggressive at each other except they're all <laughs> vampires. <laughs> I think we just watched that Midsummer Murders. <laughs> Um, you know, it, this is this is sort of the the Elvis Costello and the Chieftain Saint Stephen's Day murders with Southeast Asian vampires. Um, <laughs> so, so I highly recommend it. It's available for free online. It's an older story, and uh, I'm really sorry I I hadn't stumbled across it until today. Thank you. So, Paul, what is making you happy now that you have moved house? Well, uh, unpacking. Um, I, no, I, 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 I should say I'm halfway through the Jeff Vandermeer, actually halfway through book two, so I'm really glad that Cat uh, didn't spoil the ending. Um, uh, I've learned to be good on the Squeakast and be uh, vaguely positive rather than spoilery positive. It, it, it is awesome, though, isn't it? I, I thoroughly concur. Um, uh, the... Um, I've just got back from Bristol Con, uh, one day con in Bristol, uh, which is small but perfectly formed. Um, I was at the first one. This is the fifth. It's a yearly event. And um, the first one is like the Sex Pistols at the 100 Club. There are only about 30 people there. <laughs> and when there's only 30 people at a convention, and yet they're still doing all of the panels and things, everybody goes to all of the panels because if, if you don't, you just sort, you're sort of the one sitting over there and you, you feel that you're letting the side down a bit. So, But anyway, it's grown and grown, and it's now about 300, 400 people. It's very friendly. And... Um, yeah, um, it, it, it's just one of those conventions where one has a really good time and um, there's no stress and uh, yeah, just, just for once. I went along to a convention and um, there, didn't have to <laughs> worry, hide or fight. Uh, my fight or fl flight response was not engaged. So hurrah, excellent <laughs> convention there. Yay, um, wow. First That's in a sign of a good convention. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't realize that your your bar for conventions to clear was like that they not activate your fight or flight reflex, Paul. That makes me kind. Of, I'm trying to not be sad here, as it's a squeakcast, but my gosh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's, 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 that's. I'm I'm on the same page as Paul here. <laughs> Actually, oh, that's probably something we're going to need to talk about while we're talking about juggling, because that's I, mm. I think as professionals, that's something we all come up against to a certain extent. Mm. Um, but but anyway, to to. Uh, continue praising BristolCon. Um, you know, let, let's add some positives here, not just that it's not terrifying. Um, <laughs> it, it's um, uh, um, lots of interesting panel ideas, um, full panel parity. Um, actually, uh, I think seat parity. Um, that is to say, there was if you count up all the seats, fifty percent male, fifty percent female, and just wonderful. Um, 
So, uh, and a very, very pleasing and sweet little convention. And if you're in the West Country uh, at this time of year, uh, it's a nice end to the convention season. Excellent. Thank you, Paul. Um, I go last because uh, I'm the moderator, I guess. Um, and so uh, those of you that have not been following our shenanigans on the Internet, um, Michael and I are the owners of the new soon to launch magazine Uncanny. And the thing that has been making me happy in science fiction recently has been the wave of submissions that have come in from across the planet. Uh, and the fact that we are getting a really wonderfully diverse pool, uh, it, it's something that makes me deeply, deeply happy. There are a lot of people who are sending us great work, and so I just wanted to, to give a shout out to everybody who was putting things under our noses in the hopes that it might make our ears perk up. Um, we are frantically working along, and hopefully we'll hit our due dates and deadlines and all of that, but it's we're in that that point of the process where it feels like you're spinning plates constantly and it you know you've got the music and the music ramps up the tension and you're convinced you're going to drop something um but we're we're just we're just happy to be here really and so that's that's what's making me happy right now and tired uh, and panicky um but it's all good so so let's talk a little bit about about uh today's topic which is uh this is a topic that was suggested to us by Shannon who alas was not able to juggle things so that she could be here today <laughs> Um, she's taking some well-earned R&R this weekend, I believe. Um, and we are going to be talking about juggling and the necessity of juggling, um, when one is a, uh, SFF professional. Mm. So, um, that's sort of where we're beginning is, you know, how do you do it all? Well, huh. the short answer is my garden looks like crap. <laughs> uh, so, well, I, I mean, I think the short answer is you don't. I mean, I think everybody goes through waves of like, I have a lot coming out this year and mm -hmm. big publicity. And then there's, you know, not really fallow, but uh, years where you're writing the things that will come out in the next big year and uh, sticking close to home and recharging your energies. I, like, I don't think anybody can do it all, all at the same time. Um, so it comes down to that terrible mythical beast of time management that I have never managed to lasso in my life. <laughs> yeah. No, agreed. There's like, I'd always, the, the trouble with the, the, the juggling as well is that I think that in addition to all the tasks that you're actually juggling, you're also constantly juggling your own moods and feeling that you're, you know, feelings of failure with feelings of success, because in order to in order, well, you know, especially if you're freelancing, the, in order to live, you need to be doing, you know, you need to be filling your time as much as possible in order to be bringing in money. But that also means taking on more than you can probably do if you're me, in which case, that, which is, this is probably terrible advice. But the thing is, you're, you, it's difficult to not feel like you're always failing at something and always dropping some ball while, in fact, keeping five others in the air. So it's you know there's there's and that brings another dimension into juggle which is to try and not give the appearance that you are actually dropping a whole bunch of balls while still like keeping the spinning plates and whatever else in the air because then people might not want to work with you and it's which makes it seem sort of dishonest and strange but it's that's just another thing to manage like managing needing extensions managing communicating with people um over things that have come up unexpectedly and so it's like it's never just managing the actual writing or that you have to do or the like actual engagements it's there's this all this nebulous cotton wool around them um that needs wrangling as well oh gosh yes i mean I, and and i think that you know the the you know the metaphor of the swan right nobody needs to know about the frantic paddling that's going on under the surface <laughs> Picture a swan it. gliding serenely across a lake. Now think about what's going on under the water. That's yeah. that's kind of how I think about career management. <laughs> I, I'd add another dimension to that, which is that I you know frequently um, walk past uh, the the Kelvin River in Glasgow, and it's got a little bit of a waterfall in it, and I'm often watching ducks floating serenely at the edge of the waterfall, mysteriously not falling off. And I just figure that the paddling must be that much more frantic. But I think that, yeah, there's always a waterfall dimension yeah. in my own imagining of this. Oh, no, there's definitely a waterfall and speedboats <laughs> and sharks <laughs> and the occasional python. <laughs> no. Um, and, I, the, the, um, and I think that, that what you've both said about not being able to do anything, 
Um, and there's also you, you, there's a point where you have to start setting limits, isn't there? A point where you have to start saying no to things, but saying no to things when you're essentially engaged in in you know the artistic practice of of the, the freelance practice of living by one's wits mm-hmm. um, is a really hard thing to do because we all know that those dry spells come along. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we also you know I know. Kat and I have both in our various ways uh, worked ourselves into fairly serious ill health a time or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that's true for everybody else. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah. you know, you get to that point where you're like, no, I need, I need to set aside a day to sit there and watch David Bowie videos on YouTube. <laughs> well, I mean, what you said about living by our wits is, is very true. And while watching the David Bowie videos may not seem like work, the fact is that, uh, especially as, as, speculative writers rather than uh, people who are looking to the everyday for inspiration, we need to recharge those whimsy muscles. And like, uh, as Mal was saying, you know, dealing with your emotional ship and keeping it on a keel that will allow you to uh, invoke all of the the wonder, sense of wonder that we talk about is, is not an easy task. And, you know, I write for children uh, sometimes and the fact is that if I'm having a hard time emotionally, it'd be really easy to write an adult novel that's full of depressing, horrific things. That's fine. But uh, being wise at children and like teaching them that the world is a wonderful place is, is a harder gig. Um, and really, it's, I, I think that one of the biggest challenges is, is not only balancing your work and your personal life, but your whimsy life, too, because that can drain off with just the pressures of everyday living, Absolutely. let alone freelancing. Yeah, Paul, do you have anything I'm, to add? I, I, I must say that you, you use that to my wife. And excuse me, Caroline, I'm off to exercise my whimsy muscle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, it um, may look like I'm reading the entire 40-year run of Judge Dread, but <laughs> it's <laughs> actually heavy lifting work. <laughs> I go to the gymsy. I'm sorry. I I couldn't. I don't know what happened there. I apologize. That's what you need a whimsy jimsy. (laughs) (laughs) Another um, title. (laughs) But no, I'm, 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 um, I, 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 this is constantly the issue in my life, honestly. I'm, uh, since Tom came along, I'm, I basically have been working just in the mornings. And so I'm trying to, what Russell T. Davis once said to me, and it's terrifying, isn't it? We'd just make a living out of stuff that comes out of our heads. <laughs> and it's um, it's so right. You really just don't want to think about it sometimes. And um, But so I've, I've been trying to work a full working week and hit deadlines and everything, just working four mornings a week. Five mornings a week now because we've negotiated a Saturday morning. Because um, Caroline's day off is Thursday, but um, all in all, um, no, I, I find it very, very difficult, and I, I really have burnt off in the last two years since Tom was born. Um, you know, my only form of entertainment really is the podcasts I listen to while I'm pushing him on his um, daily walk, and um, it, well being able to read long runs of Marvel Unlimited on uh, my, my you, you weren't actually that far off with the entire history. Of <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 I think it's time to, you know, now we've moved to a new place and he's getting a bit older and is going to be in nursery longer and things like that, as well as being able to concentrate on the work more. I really do need to lay aside some more space <laughs> to exercise my whimsy muscles. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, because you know it, it, it's important, and 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 it's easy to, you know, because I I have a great deal of difficulty saying no, especially to decent projects, things which you you not only will pay the bills but are exciting and intellectually interesting. You know, it's really hard to turn those down, mm-hmm. and you never know when the ne- as as just as as you guys said, you never know when the next one's coming along. So um, yeah, I've got too much on, honestly. Have we all got too much on? Oh, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think I'm the only person present who's still holding down a day job. Is that correct as well? Yes. I've never had a job. What, what, what's, what's, what's it like? Well, they require you to get up rather early in the morning and appear 
and be cordial to people well before you're ready to do so. Oh, yeah, they they you, it's quite job. harrowing, really. Uh, they, they make go, go, you go, put go. on trousers. They make Paul. you put on trousers, like oh, proper no. trousers. <laughs> well, this is this is ridiculous. It is. I, although I'm, it must be said, this is this is something people really do misunderstand about my job. I'm up at six thirty. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think a lot of freelance writers are up really early. Yes, because it's the only yeah. time you get quiet. Yep. Yeah, and it's and it's you know it's it and it's challenging I think with with kids as well because they their schedules to a certain extent end up dictating yours whether you like it or not. And and I must say I'm I'm not one to moan honestly because um, you two, um, Lynn and Michael, you guys, uh, how you balance your schedule just amazes me. Um, it, <laughs> it, well, it's it, it, it we have one of the things that we have gotten to learn is that routines are hugely important. And I mean, there are things that, that um, they get set to the wayside. Uh, one of the big challenges for us this year in particular with the launch of the new magazine, in addition to day job and, and life with Caitlin is, has been um, the thing that has slid for us is our fitness uh, regime, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is difficult on a couple of levels because of course, one of the things that allows you to stretch your whimsy, as it were, um, is being um, physically active. Um, it's a good way to replenish some of that. And it often ties in for many of us to things like brain chemistry, um, mm-hmm. which also feeds into the ability to whimsy. Because if you are going through a period of depression or anxiety, um, it's a lot more difficult uh, if you're not, um, it, at least for us, it, we find it more difficult to be creatively productive. Um, the one advantage to, at least from my perspective, to being an editor rather than an actual writer is that the vast majority of what I have to do doesn't require nearly as much whimsy, just a willingness to send thousands of emails. Um, <laughs> so, so from my perspective, I just have to recognize other people's whimsy. I don't have to create my own. Um, or rather, I, I, we create whimsy by selecting what other people have done as and curating that experience, which is a lot curating easier. Curating whimsy. Curating whimsy, yes. It's, I, I find it like, I, la- I had a conversation at a WISCON like five years ago with Jennifer Stevenson, who was sitting next to me at the write-out. And she was like, so when are you going to start a novel? And I just laughed at her. She's like, what? Every I'm like, no. I, I See, you don't understand. I know enough writers to know how much work that is. I also know my own writing well enough to know how far back at the beginning of that train I am. I'm not getting on board. I don't have time to produce a million words and still be crap. No, <laughs> I'll, I'll go deal with other people's stuff who've, who've put in the time and the work and not clog up my brain with my crap. Cause it's just, I'm, that's not how I'm creative and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's often um, a challenge just to, you know, get up the, energy to do to send yet another five emails or you know answer another three questions or read this thing one more time when you've looked at it 10 times already um it's it's a different kind of and and Uh, the the beauty is the cat waxing changes slightly because i can bounce from project to project to project so like if i don't if i don't feel like reading submissions i can go work on a day job thing and if i don't feel like doing a day job thing when i'm at home I can work on stuff for the magazine and or stuff for the podcasts, or I can go watch Doctor Who because it's totally homework because of Verity, so it's fine. <laughs> um, so you know, it, you shift things around a little bit, and we we just we live and die by the routine around here. It, 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 when you mess with the routine, everything gets thrown out of whack. I wanna I wanna jump on that actually. Um, the the thing you're saying the, the thing that you're saying about routine mm-hmm. and and scheduling that's been a huge struggle for me this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, even even for the two years before that, to a lesser degree, because in in 2014, I think I've spent a grand total of like four months at my own home. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is because my boyfriend lives in Wisconsin uh, <laughs> and I live in Massachusetts. I am currently actually at, at Scott's place. I'm on his couch. Um, but. I can I can have a routine at his place. I can I can have times when I work and times when I exercise and times when I screw around on the internet and and screwing around on the internet is actually in a lot of ways work too because there's that whole social media management website update thing which is a whole nother multi-headed hydra octopus hybrid monster of time management um but 
you know, at home, I, I have a routine. I, I get up, I eat something, I try to get some kind of exercise, whether it's taking the dog for a walk or going for a run. And then I try to sit down and work. Um, and then I have, you know, like a lunch break and I try to do a little more work. And then the afternoon when I'm sleepy and having a blood sugar crash is when I do social media more, more, more so, because that's a great idea. <laughs> that's what I'm really at my best for dealing with people being rude on the internet. Um, okay. Maybe not the best plan, but uh, you know, I was, I don't even know how many different countries I've been in this year and, and it's a good problem to have, but it also means that the writing really suffers because not having, you know, not having a chunk of a month at a time, say, when I know I have four hours or two hours to sit down and actually work on the same project with, with continuity of experience and continuity of intent and the ability to try to hold it all in my head simultaneously. With, you know, I've, I've, I've intentionally adopted a, a writing pattern that doesn't involve any kind of rituals or any specific setting or I don't need to be in a specific, specific place to do it. Uh, but it's still really disruptive. It's it's hard. I'm trying to finish a novel by the end of November, and I'm having an incredibly hard time getting my teeth back into it after, you know, being all over the planet for four months. Mm-hmm. I completely get that. To me, it also speaks to, the, like, in the other sort of juggling arenas of things, like, different kinds of work require different kinds of attention, even when they're all writing, um, and I, I've found, because I, I also had an enormously heavy travel schedule um, this year that was just, that, that left very little time, they certainly disrupted any kind of attempt at, at routine, but also meant that the time that I had for writing was usually while being in transit, um, that there was very little of being in a place with a, with a desk or something like that, that, was, um, that wasn't a hotel desk or that wasn't, you know, sitting on someone's bed or... And I found that actually the, that the work that doesn't suffer from those conditions is nonfiction a lot of the time. Like if it's a yeah. task like reviewing or writing an essay or, you know, some, saying something that requires day brain thought process that has logic and like a point and stuff that doesn't suffer so much because it's still a bit like having a conversation. Um, but if it's something that requires, you know, the, the aforementioned whimsy muscles or just, you know, imaginative craft uh, because obviously there is still craft and nonfiction but the kind of speculative imaginative craft that that you're that, that is either part of a long-term project or that is you know a deadline for a short story at a different place or something like that those require very different kinds of attention that aren't necessarily available to me if I'm traveling and you know the, the struggle to actually fall into that space of attention is one that a lot of people struggle with and that other people don't believe is a real thing, which sometimes makes it more difficult. Like, you know, there are, there are a lot of writers who are like, are you joking? Do you just put that button in that chair and you just bang out the words because that's what you're supposed to do? It is your job like any other. I'm like, well, <laughs> and like any other job, sometimes you have your tools and sometimes your, tours, your tools are walking out on a moor somewhere and you're stuck in this room without them and you have to kind of just deal. It's- um, it's like falling asleep. I mean, sometimes you can't sleep. Sometimes you get poor sleep. Sometimes you just can't quite sink into that deep and relaxed place. And when you're traveling mm-hmm. and you're not in your own bed, it's even harder. And, you know, even, even if you sleep, maybe you don't dream. Like, I, I always think yeah. of, of the good place of writing, like falling asleep. And as a lifelong insomniac, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I can, there's no wonder that that's, that's the image I use. But, uh, you know, you... It, putting the butt in the chair is like having a glass of milk and laying down in bed and turning the yes. lights off. You hope for the best, but it may not happen. And the more you are out of your own element, the more difficult it is. That Honestly, I mean, I say I'm going to write while I'm traveling every single time. <laughs> and I've worked while at a convention maybe three times ever. And the only time I really get any done while traveling is if I'm taking a train trip because mm-hmm. that is an environment that I find it easy to fall asleep in but it's it's really tough when you are uprooted to to find that place where you can curl up into your work so I love that metaphor I think that's that's utterly gorgeous and so perfectly true it is like falling asleep there's only so much you can do before this 
weird otherworldly process kind of takes over your brain in order to make anything good. So I have a question for everyone. And deadlines are like your alarm clock, you know. <laughs> you start stressed out, like, if I fall asleep right now, then I can still get five hours. I can still get five hours. <laughs> uh, the more you stress out about it, the less likely that is to happen. Yeah. So, so all of you are talking about sort of the, the part of the process that involves sort of baseline putting down words in the first place. Do you find that the conditions need to be almost identical for the revision process as they are for the initial drafting? Oh, Not gosh, no, no, no. no, no. no. <laughs> I, I can edit anywhere. Mm, yeah. yeah, I honestly, I, I don't prefer to edit uh, where... In, in my office where I work, I usually edit on my laptop with my feet on the coffee table and like other things going on and my dogs and cats around because it, it just occupies a different part of my brain. It isn't it isn't the falling asleep part. Uh, I, have, I, I, I don't have, have I don't have an immediate other metaphor. <laughs> I, I edit the manuscript for Scar Down sitting at a table in the cafe at San Diego Comic Con. Hmm. I can edit anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Could not have written a word under those circumstances, but it's you. You don't. You don't need to to hold the entire structure and shape and spin of the story in your head the same yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Because on you're, some level, your editor has done that for you, right? Yeah. Like on some level, when you're given a revision, it's been your editor's job to kind of look at the whole and then give you the thing that enables you to kind of put something in to make it spin better or whatever. And so yeah. you're kind of performing a task rather than building a tool. Mm-hmm. Paul, do you have something to add? Um, yeah, it's, um, I, I, I can, uh, I can write just about anywhere. Um, because in the end you have to, you know, it's, um, you know, you like to think that you're going to sit down and do your 2000 words, um, at your desk, but, Honestly, you're going to be out somewhere on a train or, or wherever, and you've you've just got to be able to. And um, um, I, I, I think your sleep metaphor is fantastic um, because uh, I'm very much aware, and it's certainly during during the move. The move has been fantastic because my brain has been busy working out the the problems with my plots, which is great. I don't have to think about it. My brain does it. <laughs> and, um, you know, I will just suddenly go, oh, and rush off and write something down. And, um, you know, it, it, also when I'm cleaning my teeth, um, <laughs> I, I actually have a theory about this. Um, the um, Whenever I'm I'm cleaning my teeth, I tend to get my brain resolving plot problems. And um, so I'll just be, you know, sitting there with my electric toothbrush going, <laughs> and my brain will go, that, you, you, you fool, you know, you'd see, that's how it should have gone, like that. I go, <laughs> oh, yes, of course. And I think this is to do with the fact that there are um, brain cells, actual neurons in one's gut. One actually does have gut feeling <laughs> that are akin to thought. <laughs> and um, that um, people have speculated that uh, the origins of language are something to do with the business of eating around the campfire. That there's something about eating which stimulates uh, some form of different form of thought. So I think by stimulating my gums, I'm actually getting something working that isn't already working. I think I, sh- I should patent this. A, a small <laughs> vibratory device for writer to lodge <laughs> up the corner of my mouth. <laughs> Solve all your plot problems with Cornell's patent mouth vibrator. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe I bet, I bet call that something different, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, that's perfect. <laughs> and I'm <broken. laughs> I mean, I'm 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 wondering if you know, just during dentistry at some point, I'll get an idea for a trilogy. You know, <laughs> you know, by really seriously stimulating it, it'll just all flood out. Actually, you know, that is, I, I do remember many a trip to the dentist's office where I would, you know, in order to distract myself from the very upsetting things taking place inside my face, would you know, start thinking of plots and stuff. So it was sort of a, a more defensive mechanism than than one actually prompted. Uh, creatively by what was going on but yeah when someone's drilling into your teeth and stuff thinking about an immersive other world where that's not happening is is pretty great 
Yeah. See, and, my, and my problem is the only, I've, I can't, it doesn't happen when I brush my teeth or, or anything like that. Really, the only way I've ever worked out plots is by talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just need to use my talking parts to figure it out and like hear myself say it so I know that it's stupid or that it's not <laughs> stupid. Uh, and so I, if I'm stuck on any kind of plot or trying to come up with, with something new, I, I have to find somebody who's willing to sit and listen to me babble for a fairly significant amount of time. So how do you know when y'all are ready to shift gears? How do you know when you've gotten to a point where your brain has brained as much as it's going to brain in that particular period and it's time to switch to a different activity? What's the tipping point for you? Oh, I, uh, sometimes I just become aware of the brain dead way in which I'm staring at Twitter and not taking anything in, but just kind of scrolling through. And it's this, it's, it's almost like a hangover actually. It's like, well, okay, that's not true because I've never been hungover. So I don't know for sure, but the way people describe hangovers is the way I feel (laughs) about this thing, which is just like, your mouth is kind of dry and you're up too late and your eyes hurt and everything is sort of wrong and you just, like, the, there is no output happening and at the same time there is also no input happening because you're not actually taking in whatever you're looking at and you're basically, just, I, for me, I'm just kind of done. Like, there's, there's, I can be of no more use to either myself or other human beings in that moment and the time has come to go to sleep and just deal with whatever the next day will bring, and that is it. It is a bleak time. <laughs> it is a sad, unhappy bleak time when to just be done. Like, I'd much rather stop before the tipping point, um, and I try to do that as much as possible. Like, usually, if, especially if I've got, as, as is almost always the case, like three or four different kinds of work that need to happen in a given day. Like, there needs to be boring administrative paperwork that gets done, or and or, um, like, writing a poem, or uh, write and and or writing a review and or um, writing a review of something else. So if like all of those things need to get done over like a two day span, I, I try to actually work on them in chunks so that I don't actually work to exhaustion on each. Um, but I'm still kind of constantly working and, and just sort of shifting gears back and forth between them so that, you know, when that horrible bleak moment hits, when I can do no more, I've at least done a lot on a few things, um, even if I haven't quite finished any of them. So anyway, yeah. For for me, one of the things that happens is that a, a lot of a, a lot of things seem to use up those whimsy muscles for me. I'm, I'm pretty introverted and like being around people and dealing with people is creatively exhausting for me. You know, I know, I know people who go to a convention and they come home and they're fired up and they want to write. And I'm like three days of brain dead, um, after dealing with that many people, the, um, and, and they're also, uh, Things like um, I, I run the occasional half marathon, which means that at least one day a week I have to go out and run at least 10 miles to, to stay in shape for that. And on those days, I'm really useless for, for creative fiction. Um, what, whatever it is about ru- the, the, the running that distance uses up the same part of my brain. That I, and often I think about stories and come up with great ideas while I'm on the run, but I can't write when I get home. I can work on nonfiction or do administration or, um, and I guess my, my solution on those days is that those are the days that I pick to clean up those, that, that pile of <laughs> niggling little nibble to death by ducks kind of, Oh God, I've got to update my webpage. And there's this promotional stuff that I need to do. And I have to write a blog entry for somebody and I owe somebody a book review. Um, that's the kind of stuff I try to do on, on those days. Mm-hmm. And that way it's out of the way when I have time for, for actual fiction. The thing that I supposedly do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. No, I am, I'm okay. down no, no. <laughs> I, like, I, I totally feel that. I mean, it, it's, there's... Um, like the nibble to death by ducks thing. I actually, before you said that, I thought you were going to talk about literally just doing housework, like um, because that is something. Oh, that too. Yeah, yeah, because that is something that I I do actually 
when I'm not doing it in a panic because I'm going to have like a guest visiting tomorrow, which often happens, um, when I'm actually doing it just because like I because I want to, um, which does also occasionally happen, um, it does it does become actually enjoyably meditative to me, um, and it it does become sort of a recharging process um, because. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a small accomplishable task sometimes. Well, sometimes, <laughs> um, again, when it's not like in a panic mode, it's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make my desk into a place that is more congenial to my working at it. And, you know, and this is great actually, cause I feel like I have like literary precedent in this case because Keats once wrote like a whole letter to someone about how he had just spent the entire day just making a space for himself to write, like putting his bust of Shakespeare in right, just the right place and, uh, and, and orientating it next to a window in just the way that he wanted. And he like has a line where he's like, this then is a good day's work. Um, and it was just so satisfying to me to come across that at one point and go, you know, that is work. It is absolutely work. And it's making further work possible. And uh, so, yeah, I enjoy that a great deal. Yeah, we did the same thing yesterday. Um, it, it's fall here, and we had lots of leaves that needed raking. And since we're, we were at a slight lull in freelance activity, we sort of went, okay, it's, it's lovely outside, and the entire family's going to go outside, and we're going to just rake up all the leaves and get them out so that the city can pick them up. And we spent like two whole hours in the great outdoors, oh. um, which is a lot for us, because I'm convinced the sun is trying to kill me, generally speaking. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not an outside person, um, but it was good for us to be outside um it was really good for us to be outside because it got us away from the computers for a while it got us away from just constantly refreshing the internet to see if this task has been completed that we're waiting on for something else to happen or if this other thing needs to be done and mm -hmm. we're not in that cycle of the constant grind of email that can that can wear down your soul mm -hmm. um which you know it's it's not the same as a creative activity where you're having to produce fiction but it eats a different part of your brain that you may need for other things. Um, I'm curious about uh, things like chores. I mean, I know we're not the only people probably that invite <laughs> folks over when we need to have the house. When we, need, when we need to clean the house, that's a good time to schedule friends coming over because it gives us the impetus to clean the house. Um, <laughs> so awesomely, I am taking a break from doing this right now to do the squeak <laughs> because uh, I have friends coming for Halloween on Wednesday and uh I, in, the guest rooms are full of stuff from having painted my study uh, a couple of months ago and having gotten lazy and not moved anything out of the guest room because we didn't have guests. So I am in like house cleaning clothes right now <laughs> and uh, trying to figure out where to put the extraordinary amount of yarn I have accumulated over the years. <laughs> Excellent. So, I know I totally agree that that is a thing to do sometimes that like I love inviting people over um not least because I love to cook for people in ways that include vegetables and my fiance whom I love very dearly is not a person who enjoys eating vegetables or in fact you know anything that has flavors in it so I just find that it's wonderful to actually, uh, you know, have people over for whom I can cook tasty things with flavors and vegetables. And, uh, and as a consequence of that, yeah, cleaning the house is the thing that happens more often than it otherwise would. So does anybody clean their house as a procrastination activity? I, I oh, refer to sure. them as procrast accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> I am taking that forever. I am stealing it and wearing it as a badge. Yes. These are these are today's procrast accomplishments. Yes, I I, I actually um, about a month ago I decided that I could not bear my office the way it was set up, the way it had been perfectly adequate for my use for the past two and a half years. It would no longer do. It all needed to be changed. So at eight o'clock at night, I'm like, oh, this will only take an hour or two, right? So I start taking all the books off of bookshelves so I can move the bookshelves around. Oh. Guess when I went to bed. <laughs> I really, I really like the new office layout, though. <laughs> so. Oh, as soon as books have to come off shelves, I feel like that, that's it. Like, I need to cancel all appointments for, like, the next week. <laughs> it's all over. It's all over. It's when all the books over. come out of the shelves, it's all over. Yeah. Oh, uh, the one thing that I find, um, maybe not as a meditative activity, but I do find that, that um, inspiration is often dissolved in the dishwasher 
dishwater with the the dirty dishes. Hmm. Like so if I spend enough time doing dishes, I'll have an idea. Huh. So like do you let them pile up when you're short on ideas? No. No, I actually usually try to uh, try to keep up with them because there's very few things that I hate more than an enormous sink full of dirty dishes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, that's the thing. I, I I find it impossible to work in a dirty house and yet I'm a huge slob. Uh, yeah. So it's like this constant balance between uh, I can't think straight because everything's a mess and I want things to be far cleaner than I really have the ability to maintain. Uh, and, you know, my past self is a jerk who constantly leaves things everywhere. <laughs> that's, that's where like offices come in, right? Because I mean, yeah. I know Kat, you've got this awesome office. Yeah, I do. Uh, um, and yeah, I was going to ask, like, do you guys do you guys find that like you can... I mean, Paul was saying he can work basically anywhere because necessity requires it and stuff. But I've often found that um, I'm still trying to figure this out exactly. But it's it's a lot easier for me to work if I leave the house before having looked at the Internet. Like, it's a really odd combination of things. Absolutely. Yeah, if I leave the house, if I like actually just, you know, say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go work in the library, you know, so I'm going to shower and get dressed and leave the house, not having looked at the internet and then get to the library. It's like my brain is operating on a fundamentally different level. And now I'm in a different place where I'm just, I'm there. There, there is nothing for me to do except work um, and maybe wander the stacks if I, if I am pondering something and stuff. But there, I'm not going to get distracted by dirty dishes or, or like, cat fluff colonizing the corners and like horrible dust bunny shapes and stuff it's like it's just there it's just there to be done the work yeah so paul you mentioned that you can work pretty much anywhere do you have um preferred spaces to work oh yes I, i really like my office you know i'm i'm yeah and i'm sitting in a big new new office now um of which i've had for a week and um you know, a study really more than an office. An office it, it, it seems to indicate that you know this, that one has a secretary and a, a, a staff. Um, but um, it, I have a time clock be... in mine, <laughs> like a punch clock. Wow, you actually yeah. have a punch clock! Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, I like. I read that. I think it's um. Oh god, it's a classic science fiction writer, and I don't remember which one. It was Frederick Pohl, who, who uh, once he quit his day job, like put his time clock uh, in his office and like put on a suit every morning and went to work because he knew it was the only thing that would keep him on track. And I was like, that's a great idea. Hmm. So I got uh, a time, I don't even really know, a time clock punch card? It's a punch card time clock. Um, that's that's like that, these people who say that they put on a suit to write and you know <laughs> have a shave in the morning, put on a suit, sit down, punch in the time clock. You might as well have a job, honestly. Really, if you... I totally, I totally sometimes like put on a pretty dress in order to write. I totally do. If I'm, I if I, I figure, yeah, I figure if I'm leaving the house, I am going to be seen, and I want to be wearing pretty things. And and honestly, like yeah, having done that, it does make that you know it is a job thing feel a lot better. Whereas sitting. I think, I mean, I think this is like widely documented among freelancers that sitting in your pajamas and, and working from the couch is um, is a thing that becomes wearying after a while. Yeah. I, actually, that yeah. is true. I do. Uh, it's a little like depression to work in yeah. your pajamas. <laughs> yeah. Ser- seriously. And we, we, I think as writers, we spend a lot of our time in a state which is a little bit close to depression, even those of us who are not depressed. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I see the value in uh, physical exercise and in actually putting on some clothes every now and then. <laughs> and having, in my case, having a shave, because I developed this huge Rasputin beard. <laughs> another, another thing about leaving the house to work, at least for me, is that um, it gets you away from the household interruptions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the family member who just needs to ask you a question about what you want for dinner or the, it, and, and inevitably these, these people are like, they're all from Porlock. Everyone, <laughs> everyone in my life was born in Porlock. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can to go to Porlock and see what it's like. Cause it's just on the road here. <laughs> I can, I, I, I can bet. have been sitting there playing bejeweled for six hours the instant i open my manuscript and start to write somebody 
a, you know, a college friend is going to call me. Somebody, it's just, it's magical. <laughs> do, you think, do, you think, do you think Porlock is full of, you know, I mean, it's where big telemarketing organizations are based. <laughs> it's I, just I full of people it's... knocking on each other's doors going, hello, I just thought I'd pop by. <laughs> yeah. I'd pop by for a cup of sugar. Yeah. Imagining Porlock as this like dystopia where everything is just half finished, like there are only <laughs> half finished roads and clocks that are only right twice a day, and you know all sorts of other kind of vague interrupted things, and and nobody can ever finish anything, but they just kind of at the same time exist happily. <laughs> Okay, so we're getting to the point where we need to wind down and do our final questions. So I'm going to do the round robin thing and ask for final thoughts on how we juggle things. So um, I'm going to start with Bear. Poorly. <laughs> <laughs> but with great enthusiasm. Okay, is there is there something that you're working on right now in terms of juggling? Uh, I have I have come to the conclusion that one of the things that has happened in in my travels this past year is that I have suffered from internet discipline creep, and mm. I am I am I I have I actually like really fell out of the whole blogging and and so forth loop, and I'm I'm discovering that you know that 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 my my discipline for just like setting aside an hour to do social media stuff and then being done with it has completely vanished and i need to i i need to do some fairly serious internet gayfiation um <laughs> uh and and i have this book that i absolutely need to finish because the thing is is uh well while we're on coleridge um the mm -hmm. thing is a gigantic stinking albatross slung <laughs> around my Aww. neck <laughs> And and I need to find some other poor sucker, like a production editor, to sling it off on. So, <laughs> okay, Cat, <laughs> um, do you have any final thoughts? Well, I actually I'm I'm just in the same place as you, Bear, where I, I really have fallen off the blogging wagon. I'm still active on Twitter, but you know, a combination of uh, the the tenor of the internet. I don't. Maybe I'm just old and crappy and think that everything's terrible now, but the tenor of the internet has become quite hostile of late and uh, I don't actually enjoy yelling at people online. So I kind of fell out of uh, blogging, which was such a huge part of my life for so long and I need to get back into it. Maybe we can have a blogging challenge, you and me, there. Because uh, well, that, that's, that's really- That's how we met. I know, that's how I got, good Lord, it's how that's I met how we all, all met. <laughs> um, Except, except Paul. I met Paul in person. But, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Was... Sorry? No, 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 for another time. When was that? I was just trying to remember. But no, please, please go on. Um, yeah, so, uh, like, that, that's kind of the thing that's fallen by the wayside as uh, there's just been more and more um, fiction deadlines that, that have to be managed and, uh, and all the rest of regular life. So that, that's definitely the thing that I need to wedge back in. Especially as LiveJournal is no longer really a going concern, which mm -hmm. was how I blogged for so long. Yeah. So transitioning to you know, a standalone blog is, is a different thing. I am I am ninety percent. Ello has ninety percent convinced me that I want to rejuvenate LiveJournal. Because <laughs> the thing that Ello has taught me is that the social media platform I want is LiveJournal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, good lord, I love LiveJournal, uh, and so I smart. really wish it were still still going. Um, I Ello hasn't sent me a. Invite code, yeah. Oh, well, I, I will send you an invite code. Okay. It's just a bunch of people standing around in a room. That's all I It's a party with no drinks. It's absolutely <laughs> No drinks and no music. And in fact, it's no drinks, no music, and a bunch of, like, hipster jerks have, like, put photos of typewriters on the walls for no reason. <laughs> it, it's literally, I just, I actually think it's ugly. I think it's an ugly interface that was, like, someone's idea of something that would look hip and beautiful, but actually is just, like, I really like typewriters, dudes, and here have, like, some almost social media that is, oh, no, this is the squeak cast. I'm going to be, like, super positive instead. LJ <laughs> is awesome. I really, I still miss LJ. I, LJ um, is awesome and so user-friendly. Yeah. <laughs> always, no. always found his a little irritating. No, 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 never no. mind. <laughs> yeah I, especially I have to say like I mean I know a lot of people like every person's experience of LJ was obviously different but my experience of LJ was enormously positive and enormously nourishing and kind let's mm. say like the, a lot of people go on about like you know flame wars and dreadful things and things that, that, that they experienced on LJ as a regular you know 
business as usual sort of thing. But I mean, LJ was enormously sustaining to me when when I was living overseas. Uh, and far away from from my family and friends, and it was I still it's also incredibly useful now because <laughs> going through things like um, my my partner is going is is going through the immigration process to like move to Canada with me, um, and we have to keep on looking up dates of things. And LJ is fantastic because I was actually documenting stuff regularly, and so I can just go to it and find all of the information that I require. But anyway, it's so I I am holding out for LJ. I am I am still there myself. So, I mean, I'm still there as well, but I mean, it's hard to deny that the conversation is is very thin these days. And I, mm-hmm. I too found it, it, it was wonderful for me, instrumental in becoming uh, a serious writer and in meeting uh, like 90% of the people that I'm close to now I met through LiveJournal. Uh, and I, I did find it kind for a long time, and it is a chunk out of my heart. Mm-hmm. Paul? Yeah. Final thoughts? Oh yeah, um, I I really need to to juggle better and to change my way of juggling and to um, not juggle with fire. And <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm kind of um, I, this is a point in my life where I really need to sort this out. And uh, you know, I think I think this conversation has actually focused me somewhat on on that situation. Oh, excellent. Um, so I I'm just going to chime in and say that I I too am struggling with the whole juggling thing. Um, my goal for the next few months is to figure out something slightly more intensive to fit into my day as a fitness thing because that's been the thing that has been by the wayside um this year everything i've been doing has been incredibly sedentary and um i'm starting to see some results from that and they're not the ones i want so it's time to change things up a little bit um so at this point uh amal we're going to do the um if you had anything you wanted to close with, go ahead, and then we're going to go into the silly questions. <laughs> Which I have in front of me as well. Yes. Um, yeah, well, the final thoughts-wise, um, I think that just in terms of, of juggling stuff, that the main thing is to, for me anyways, is to, to get used to just scheduling things, weirdly enough. I, I didn't actually talk about this at all, but scheduling things really helps. I actually came across very recently... Uh, one of those kind of how to stop procrastinating lists on the internet that come up every, you know, couple of weeks, it seems. But this one actually was full of things that made sense to me in a way that weren't kind of vague platitudes. And one of them was, you know, if you have a lot of things to do, actually schedule a time for them to begin and just like, you know, work on it for set it like this much time to work on and stuff and and it, it appeals to me because that means that it's again, it's something that you can cross off without actually having given yourself the unendurable task of like finish a story or something like that. It's like, no, work on the story for an hour and, and then, you know, cross that off and do something else. So I think that that anyways, Mm -hmm. is something I'm looking forward to trying to implement in my, in my attempt at juggling everything. Um, but yeah, that's, I'll leave it there actually and go to the questions because they are fun. Okay. Um, I will also point out that one of my other favorite juggling tricks is to work in teams um, because you're less likely to drop things if there's another pair of hands. Uh, hmm. This is this is one of the ways that that um, Michael and I developed as editors is that we work together, which means that when I am just too wiped to do something, he can, and when he's too wiped to do something, I can. And um, you know, with the magazine right now, we've got a fantastic managing editor who is also picking up the ball and running with it. Um, so having and, and people will notice that a lot of the projects I've worked on have been collaborative, specifically for that reason, because with Caitlin, we often have to kind of drop everything for a day or two or a week or two based on her health, having other people who can pick up the ball and keep moving um, Mm -hmm. makes a huge difference in our ability to be productive. I have to say I am completely down on working in teams right now because I feel like the kid who has gotten stuck doing everybody's homework (laughs) for the last three years. So... It is. It's challenging. It. It really. It so much depends on who your teammates are. It really, really does. Um, no, it. It, it doesn't though, because you can have the greatest teammates in the world, and if something explodes in their mm-hmm. life, yeah. Um, so you know, there's a there's a a flag on that one for yep. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I totally understand. I mean, I, I'm working on an academic book with um, my co-author from the first libraries based book that I did a few years ago, and we keep emailing each other, going, "Did I drop a ball?" I can't remember. Did I, did I need to do something? Um, keeping track is, is one of the hardest parts. Yeah. (laughs) It's a challenge. It really is. 
Okay, so let's move on to silly questions because that's way more fun than moaning about how hard it is to do stuff. Um, <laughs> so the first question comes from Paul, which is, what do you most fear? Uh, so I have like a, a general vague nebulous answer to this and a very concrete specific answer to this. <laughs> um, and the vague nebulous one is I am constantly terrified of disappointing people I care about. Um, it, it's in fact, if there is such a thing as like a guiding fear in one's life, uh, the guiding fear in my life is disappointing people I care about. It is awful. It is like oh, just a, a terrifying thing. And I, I try very hard not to do that um, ever because it's so scary. <laughs> um, that's, otherwise... a, that's a very that's a very lovely fear to have. I think that's really nice. Oh, I'm more fun than spiders. <laughs> the, well, actually, my other thing was not spiders. I love spiders, but daddy long legs mm -hmm. terrify me. There's just, they're wrong. It's like if I'm looking at a spider and it's got like its eight legs and its two bodies and that's totally fine. But if it's a daddy long legs and it only has one body and only six legs, it's like an uncanny spider. And it's... <laughs> It's just wrong, and they're so spindly, and I hate them so much. And then if you add wings to them, they're, like, the worst thing. I, I feel like a caricature of a woman from, you know, those kinds of films where they have to stand up on stools and be afraid of mice, except I am worse than that when there's one of them in the room, and I just kind of, like, have to go, Stu, take it away, it's so awful, no, please, stop. Or I try to get the cats to eat them. But um, anyway, sometimes that works. Shannon's next question. Shannon has the next question, which is, can I have a cookie? Of course, Shannon. Of course you can. And the next question from Shannon is, what's the first book you remember reading on your own initiative? That would be The Hobbit, um, which because there were lots of other books that I read before that I cannot now remember the title or characters in, but I read The Hobbit when I was seven, and it's it's still my like heart book of forever. The next question comes from Paul. Paul, are you willing to sing it today? I'll try. I can never do the voice. Um, what have you done today to make me feel proud? Uh, okay, first of all, I'm missing the reference to that, whatever that is. It's a BBC, BBC comedy show called Miranda, where um, they, oh. they summon up um, this British uh, diva's voice every now and then um, <laughs> to ask that particular question. Oh, um, well... I uh, I made a lot of puns about bees and Hamlet. It happened somehow. A friend was telling me that um, he had friends in the theatre in France who kept bees in a defunct theatre. And somehow this this evolved or devolved into um, an amazing array of, of like to be or not to be and, and various things like that. I thought that might make you proud, Paul. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm filled with a, 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 a surge of pride. The next question comes from Bear, which is, what do you want on your tombstone? An end date that is really, really, really far away from now. Yay! <laughs> <clears throat> and the next question, what is your favorite joke and do please feel free to tell it? So the one that, I don't know, I've become really obsessed with owls lately. Um, I'm in fact wearing an owl print dress as we speak. Um, it's really cute. Uh, and um, so the, the joke is, why did the owl not go courting in the rain? Because why it was... Did... Yeah, go on, go ask me, ask Why me. did the owl not go courting in the rain? Because it was too wet to woo. Oh. Oh. Isn't that the best? It's so great. Oh. I love it so much. <laughs> I will add a tiny bit of owl trivia to that. There is only one owl in the entire world that um, that says to wit to woo. And it is the tawny owl, which is uh, resident in, in Britain. <laughs> okay. The next one is, uh, what is your quest? That comes from Cat. God, do you know, like, that? that is not a silly question. That is, like, a profound existential question. <laughs> I'll have you know it's Monty Python, so I think it qualifies as silly. I know, I know, I know. I, like, I, I saw that reference. It's like my quest. Um, uh, my quest is, con is to, to, to be above reproach. That is probably my quest. Darling, you are absolutely above reproach. <laughs> <laughs> to be above reproach in your eyes specifically, Kat, will always be my quest. <laughs> I'll know I'm doing good. Achievement unlocked. 
<laughs> so the, <clears throat> the I ship it. <laughs> so the next question comes from me, which is, what is your favorite word? It's a toss-up for me. I thought about this a long time. Um, it's a toss-up between three things. One of them is uh, that I can't stop to say. I can't seem to stop saying adorbs lately. It's just my word of the month thing. Everything's adorbs. Um, but other than that, it's a toss-up between cormorant and thistle. And the final question comes from Michael. What's the one place you'd like to visit that you haven't traveled to yet? Gosh, the one place. There are like a bazillion of them. Um, I really would love to go to... Um, gosh, I really could have prepared this one because like, I have a list. I could have just picked one. Um, I'm going to go with the... the sort of easy nearby one that I hope to go to soon. I've never been to Wales and I'd really love to go to Wales. I'd love to go to Caeridris, um, uh, which is the mountain where you, if you fall asleep on it, you'll wake up either mad or a poet. And I'm, I'd be quite curious to see <laughs> what would happen after, you know, a night spent on Caeridris. Okay. All right. So this is the point where I play us out. <clears throat> Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Thanks to our regular contributors, Bear, Cat, and Paul, and our special guest, Amal El-Motar. Special thanks to our webmaster, Dimitri Zagadulin, our technical producer, David McCone-Chase, Jeff Bonhoff at Mystic Fig Studios for the instrumentals of music by Sean and McGuire, Katie Shuttleworth, who made our Rockin' logo, and Michael Damian Thomas for general administrative support. We hope that you will join us next time. Same squee time, same squee channel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.